This podcast is part of the Podcavern Network. Check out other Podcavern shows at podcavern.com. Today, Moth and Cicada have a row. If you're new to the podcast, you could check out the archives on the website and listen to the episodes you've missed. The address is in the show notes. You don't have to, of course, but this is the kind of story where details add up. Welcome to the 11th episode of The Moth Collection. The Moth Collection. Episode 11. In the House. Cicada breached the foamy surface like a dolphin. It was a big bath. She took a huge gasping breath as water sloshed out over the rim in steaming waves, splashing to the tiled floor with the sound of an ocean. The bathrooms in the single suites at Nethouse were roomy, but in couples' units, particularly in the newer East Tower, they were palatial. 312, said Moth with a grin, holding her hair up, partly to prevent it from getting wet, but mostly because she knew Cicada found her sexy like that. Something about the contrast between her red hair, streaked with grey though it was these days, and the near-porcelain white of her neck. Her wife's words, not hers. They were listening to Debussy's La Mer, which made Moth happy. People thought her subtle because she spoke quietly, But in truth, she always went for apposite over subtle. Cicada wiped the suds out of her eyes and glowered at Moth. Every bloody year I lose ten seconds. She shook some water out of her curls. She settled back and draped her arms along the sides of the bath. Her knuckles paled and her tawny biceps crisscrossed with the scars that testified to a lifetime in theater quivered a little when she gripped the marbled rim. Moth's eyes went to one such witness in particular, there, just under Cicada's left shoulder, and her heart ached a little as she remembered Spider. I'm getting old, sugar. Nine times out of ten, Cicada would have said these words with a laugh bubbling behind them, but today she sounded sour about it. She gave the rubber duck an angry swat. You're still a minute and a half over my record, said Moth soothingly. That'll keep constant, I suspect. I lose seconds all the time, too. She was trying not to stare. She was always trying not to stare. Cicada often compared herself to a cat. She could be affectionate, indeed demandingly so, but it all had to be on her terms. Moth had been trying not to stare for fifteen years by her reckoning. Yeah, that's sweet of you, baby, and I don't mean to impugn your badassery in most respects, but it's not like a competition. There was a perplexing rolling rumble from outside the suite, followed by what appeared to be a large number of people making a fuss. The noise must have been prodigious for it to be audible through the soundproofed walls. It was so unusual 
that Moth and Cicada didn't quite know how to react. Was it funny? Annoying? Scary, perhaps? The breach alarm suddenly blared all through the building, making the walls and their bones vibrate. Their eyes locked. It was scary, after all. Also a little exciting, if Cicada's gleaming pupils were anything to go by. Every op in the house was expected to know that sound, but no one imagined they would ever hear it outside of a training room. As far as Moth knew, until this moment no one ever had. Cicada was so discombobulated that she even began to ask aloud what was going on, then caught herself and shot out of the bathtub like a missile. Skidding on the tiles, she ran out to the bedroom. Moth could not follow suit. Her prosthetic foot was on her vanity, the one on the left filled to bursting with a startling collection of cosmetics in innumerable bottles, tubes, and glittering jars, and putting the damned thing on was a bit fiddly. She could hear her wife already keying in the combination to the lockbox. For a split second, she wondered at how she could hear that, until she realized that, although the breach alarm droned on, the volume of the noise was becoming gradually lower. It now felt like part of the back wall of her mind, like an insistent headache. No doubt the alarm would fade out entirely in time. After all, the people living at NetHouse were professionals. You come back here and hug me before we leave. Cicada, you hear? Moth called out, quickly but carefully pulling herself out of the water and stretching to grab her foot. A note suddenly dropped. It was from Collection. <laughs> from Collection? What a day. Well, well ladies, ladies, gentlemen, gentlemen and, all, and all, this is neither a drill, drill nor a malfunction. malfunction. Proceed, Proceed with all applicable protocols. And do be careful. To hell with all applicable protocols, Cicada exclaimed from the other room. This week, that would mean congregating in the main concourse, am I right? I believe you are, said Moth dismally. The mention of protocols made her feel her age. Well, that sounds pretty stupid to me. Cicada strode back in, a searer in each hand, wearing nothing but sandals. Bye. God, even if the worlds were ending, Moth would not be denied that vision. Cicada noticed and chose to bask in it. She bounded to Moth, hugged her, kissed her, let her hand trace the older woman's lower belly, grazing the first hairs. Kissed her again, this time seriously, enjoying the feel of Moth's breasts against her own. Then she pressed a searer into the breathless redhead's hand. Cicada never spoke. She was excited. The breach alarm. What a time to be alive. Cicada grabbed a couple of towels and tossed them through the doorway onto the bed. Moth, still dripping sudsy water, let herself be helped into the bedroom. She sat on the corner of their bed as Cicada disappeared into the bathroom again. Moth's golden eyes, usually blazing, were clouded. They lingered on the shapes that were cicada for as long as they were visible and beyond.
Moth shivered, then began scrubbing her stump thoroughly. It was a very bad idea to wear her foot over wet, or, God forbid, soapy skin. Just so she could stand and gather her clothes, she stuck the stump into the recess of the prosthesis without securing it. She had to get dressed before she could put it on. The bastard thing never did get through a trouser leg. She was putting on her underwear when Cicada ran through the bedroom one last time on her way to the front door. She was wearing a pale pink undershirt over red gym shorts and was holding her searer two-handed. You're not going out like this. Why not? I'm ready now. Come on, babe. How often do I get to do die hard? I'm going scouting. I'll keep in touch. You look amazing in that bra. I love you. And she left, skipping like a lunatic terrier. Moth sighed. It always came back to this. Cicada was a great op. She was her own woman. And though Moth would stop breathing until this whole thing, whatever it was, had blown over, she could not treat her wife like a child. Also, for a woman who would be turning 60 in the fall, Moth did look amazing. She got dressed as quickly as she could in a standard gray suit. No time for makeup. That was unprecedented, and it made her feel like a knight without her armor. She checked the secret compartment in her foot, then strapped the prosthesis securely. She laced both her shoes with some care. She debated within herself as to her cane. Strictly speaking, once she had her foot on, she didn't need it. In fact, she kept losing canes on jobs. When she got to the running bit, she tended to forget about it and would only remember it after making it back to Nethouse. Screw the cane, she decided. She made sure her serious charge was at full and the safety was off. She was just about to step out of the suite into the carpeted hallway beyond when Cicada's note arrived. Sweet mother of God, crickets down. Down, 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 down how? Down dead, down eaten. A whisper of a pause. Mott, we've got discrepancies in the house. Two. Moth hugged the paneled walls of the deserted main corridor of the east wing. Her feet made the barest shuffling noise as they touched the dark red carpet. The lights were dimmed, as always. Dimmed and rich. Moth usually liked the homey feeling this gave the place, but just now she felt it merely created more dark corners for monsters to hide in. She resented how all the old portraits smirked at her in judgmental silence. The house itself was hardly silent, however. Unintelligible shouts reverberated along the halls. It was difficult to tell where the clamor came from, or indeed if it proceeded from human or discrepancy throat. Cicada was already somewhere inside the office building, to the south of Moth and possibly a few floors down. If anything noteworthy happened, they'd, well, make a note of it. Besides, 
Unless they were officially on a job together, they both liked not having to mind the other for a few minutes. That was Moth's story in any case, and she would hold on to it like grim death. This was where compartmentalizing separated the women from the girls. Flea, Flea. Butterfly. butterfly, she noted instead. Are you in the, West, in the Tower? West Tower? We're actually We're coming actually down to ground floor, ground floor, noted Flea. Whatever's going on, it's not happening here. I was just about to send you a note, Moth, added Butterfly. You know. Moth smiled. She knew. Slowly, over decades by her reckoning, this other Butterfly had become, if not her Butterfly, then certainly one of the Butterflies. And this flea had come into his own since she and Cicada had rescued him from Drop's hellhole where the earlier flea had hit the end wall, God rest his soul. If Cicada wanted to do her ninja act, Moth felt that these two were a satisfactory team to work with in the meantime. Converge, Converge. she noted. I'll wait for you in the main concourse. concourse. The East Wing, which the East Tower abutted, was called that for no discernible reason, Nethouse and its grounds stood inside a displacement, and no one had ever been able to ascertain where in the worlds it actually was. The notion of the points of the compass was only poetry here. The garden paths all led to the psychedelic swirls of the nothing and all, and that was that. You wanted in or out, you took the slide. The East Wing was home to three restaurants, currently a sushi place, a vegetarian steakhouse, and an Indian takeout, the supermarket, the movie house, and the historical library. The West Wing, some three hundred meters in front of her beyond the main entrance hall, housed the religious quarters, the museum, the dépanneur, the entertainment library, and two bars, Crazy's, the noisy one, and Rick's, the slightly less noisy one. This was a Casablanca-themed gin joint, the result of vigorous lobbying on the part of Cicada, and one of her proudest achievements. And beyond that, the West Tower, where most of the single ops resided. Moth turned the corner at the historical library into the corridor leading to the office building per se, and stopped dead. The wall on the left was defaced with an enormous word gouged into the paneling and the paintings alike as though with a pickaxe. The word was peace. Moth shook her head, a little peaked. There was no way Cicada hadn't seen this. They finally, they made, finally it, made it, Cicada, Cicada. she noted wryly. What do you mean, Shug? Shug? Who? Who? Whatever cabal, Whatever cabal the discrepancies have been able to maintain for ten years, by my reckoning. How they kept at it through their madness, without eating one another, is more than I can imagine, but here we are. They burrowed through the brains of enough retirees, finally, to show up. Oh, the peace graffiti on the walls? I couldn't make anything of them. There's more than one? I'm near the historical library. It's been ripped into the wall. Oh yes, oh, yes, noted Cicada. I'm inside the, office, the block. office block. I'm near the labs, the labs and I've and seen I've three. three. The one you're, the one talking, you're about, talking about, the one I'm the one looking, I'm at, looking now, at now, which has been which burned, burned into the wall. Into the wall. And, I and I ran some ways into, into the west wing before backtracking. backtracking. 
Next to crazy, there's one written in blood. No hide Are you alone? Yes. I told you about cricket. If you continue into the west wing, you'll see her. Most of her, anyway. She's near the mosque. Whatever discrepancies made it through out of the voids, I don't think they're interested in the living quarters. Yes, Flea said as much. Martha noted to the other two ops, Flea, butterfly, brace yourself. Cricket has hit the end wall, and you'll walk past her as you come to meet me. I'm sorry. I don't know exactly what they're after, noted Cicada, but my hunch is it's somewhere in the office. Sounds reasonable. I also ran into Dragonfly, Cicada noted further. He was badly wounded and not very coherent, but there's a fire discrepancy somewhere on the ground, among other things. I bandaged Dragonfly and left him inside one of the vacant suites in the West Tower, on the second floor. He couldn't make it to medical, and if I'm right, the last place we want him to be is the office block. We'll send someone when we can. At least he can't be ambushed in there. Moth pursed her lips. Ambush or siege, that was the usual choice, yes. She brooded for a second, then noted, You're right about the protocol. They make no they make sense no if Nethouse has been overrun. overrun. Here's the plan. Here's the plan. Get, to Get to collection. If this peace, if this peace motif, motif means anything at all, I believe I it's about, it's collection. about collection. Make sure, make sure he's, okay. he's okay. Escort, Escort him, to the, him to the vaults and lock him in, lock there. Him in there. Then defend, defend that, position, that position, but be but careful, be careful about, about, it. about it. Flea and, Flea and Butterfly are coming to me. We'll sweep the place. If we're lucky, you won't see anyone. So just wait for me. I liked everything about that, except for the bit that came after, here's the plan. I mean it, Cicada. Do not go full McClance. McClane. Moth's eyes went to the ceiling. Once we're done here, she noted, I promise you we'll watch that movie again, and you can quiz me about it afterwards. I love it when you're being all macho, Suddenly, Collection himself sent a note. I approve of this plan, Moth. Cicada, follow it as delineated. How can you read this? Noted Moth, startled. Oh, Moth, noted Collection. You sweet country mouse, noted Cicada. Three. Cicada couldn't help herself. She was having fun. She glided between the dirty green cubicles of the office block, her arms already glinting with a sheen of honest sweat. She'd ditched the sandals when she'd realized how uncomfortable and indeed risky they were to run in. Now her worst enemy would be a dropped thumbtack. She'd take her chances. The corridors in the block were grayer and less interesting than the living areas of Nethouse. The lighting was drearier. The carpeting was a bit more threadbare. The furniture was functional, but not stylish. Cicada was surprised and gratified to note that the place was deserted. The clerical staff and the clean-up crews, most of whom did not live in Nethouse, were already gone, evacuated by the emergency team. Now that Cicada thought about it, did the ferrets operate from Nethouse? 
let alone live here. She'd never even asked herself the question. No wonder there was bad blood between cleaners and ops. Still, a rare case of a well-organized, well-realized operation in an outfit that tended to the haphazard at the best of times. I'm on my way, Cicada noted to collection. It felt odd to communicate with him via the notes, just as though he were an op himself. He had been one, of course, but that was before he'd become collection, since time out of mind by anyone's reckoning, surely. Hide behind your desk in the meantime. It's suddenly big enough. Cicada had only seen it a few times, but the piece of furniture had impressed her. Knock according to the code, if you will, answered Collection, ignoring the quip. A goofy grin came to Cicada's lips as she punched the down button on elevator number three. The code was another one of her achievements. Even if her portrait didn't end up on the wall along the corridor to Collection's office, and on the whole she'd rather it didn't, she was leaving her mark on the net. Why, Why? Cicada noted, are the vaults vaults built under the sports and training complex? complex. I always thought that was weird. weird. It's at least 400 400 meters away from your office, office. and that's before we go down. down. The place place was built that way when we moved in, in. noted Collection matter-of-factly. Quite a number of collections collections ago. We never could find the space in the budget to modify it. And honestly, I never imagined having to use the vaults. No other collection ever has. Cicada stepped out of the elevator onto a three-way crossing. Left, right, and straight down. She pivoted to the left, saw one, two, three, four, five humanoid shapes huddled together some twenty-five meters away, apparently in the middle of some sort of conclave, and jumped straight across from the elevator door, shooting past and disappearing behind the corner. She snapped back against the wall, slowing her breathing down through sheer force of will. She thought she had been about as quiet as a rhinoceros dancing on gravel, but a quick glance round the wall showed that the discrepancies had not altered their stances at all. There was one who was made of some sort of acid, and she let it drip from her fingers to dissolve what would undoubtedly become the word peace into the wall. She'd got so far as pee, as the others looked on. Cicada could only see two of them clearly. Two men, one of them smoldering dully, obscuring the other two behind the shimmer of heat haze. Cicada's eyebrows climbed. The acid discrepancy looked a little like moth. That had happened before. She was wondering how significant that could be when one silhouette detached itself from the heat mirage. Cicada nearly yipped. That discrepancy was a child. A boy with black streaked red hair who wore a smart little white and blue school uniform that made him look like a carnival sailor. And he held a teddy bear to his chest. Of course, the acid one looked like Moth. She sent Moth a quick note. Jamie's here. The fire discrepancy's head instantly spun around in her direction. Cicada swore under her breath as she scrambled further back behind the wall. She secured her grip on her seer. They can read the notes. 
What do you mean? Instantly noted Moth. Then, silence. Clever Moth. Idiot, said a small, childlike voice. This was followed by a dry swish, like a blade being pulled out of his scabbard in a movie. Then a dull groan. Cicada sneaked a quick glance at the discrepancies, fully expecting them to be rushing up the corridor to her. Instead, she saw Jamie standing over the writhing form of the unfortunate fire creature who had given the game away. The others stood back, their features stunned and angry. Cicada, report, noted collection. Cicada was surprised. That was a bit dense of him. The boy held his teddy bear in his left arm. His right arm, now a long blade of ice, speared the larger man through the belly, pinning him to the floor like a butterfly. The swish had been the sound of a blade being sheathed, not the opposite. Jamie turned to Cicada, and his eyes went through her. The woman with acid fingertips made a pleading gesture. We want peace, Cicada she said. Droplets fell from her nails and whistled as they hit the carpeted floor. We want out of the voids, Cicada, added the man who was still standing. He had the angular look of one of the bronze ones and smiled rigidly as though he were incapable of moving his lips. Jamie's arm became running water, then congealed back to human flesh. He nodded to his companions and Cicada stiffened, bracing herself against her back leg. At an invisible signal, they all turned on their heels and ran. Away from her and leaving their erstwhile comrade drooling lines of fire from his contorted mouth. As they turned the far corner, Jamie said, conversationally but perfectly audibly, I want my mother, Cicada. Cicada gave a tremendous push and sprinted after the creatures, but by the time she rounded the corner they were all gone. There were signs that they'd changed to their elemental forms to go faster. Puddles, collapsed areas under the carpet, crepitating spots where acid was eating into the floor. It was not impossible, she imagined, scanning the corridor, that they'd got into the ventilation system. She was starting to regret her decision to forego the sandals. They can read the notes, Mott. We're all converging, all of us. We'll see who gets there first. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Stay safe. Oh, the longing in those words. Cicada's chest tightened. Moth's next note was housewide. The discrepancies have cracked the notes. No op is to use the system for the duration of this emergency. Furthermore, if they can read the notes, it's a safe assumption that they can hear us using any other kind of remote communication. Rely on signs and direct voice. That was her moth. Once she knew the score, she played it and played it well. Who else would use the word furthermore in this kind of chaos? Draining her seer on the wounded discrepancy, you never knew. Cicada jogged back to him and stopped over his simmering form. He grimaced as he tried to sit up, 
squeezing flames and sparks between his splayed fingers over the gaping, volcano-like wound in his abdomen. The wall behind him read P in sizzling letters. We want peace, you know, Cicada, he wheezed, tears like brands rolling down his smoking cheeks. You need to work on those PR skills, she said, and squeezed the trigger on her serum. Four. Flea and Butterfly jogged with Moth along the corridor to the office block, leaving the main concourse behind them. They'd hid their shock at the sight of Moth's unretouched features pretty well, all things considered. Her stump already smarted a little, but it would have to hurt a damned sight more for her to acknowledge it. At least some of them are trying to reach Collection's office, she said. The ones Cicada saw? asked Flea. That means they're in front of us. His face was already doing that thing where he was going through a layout in his head. And there are others between us in Collection. How do you want to play this? I'm not sure. She took a second to notice, once again, what an extraordinary job Medical had done on Flea's nose, which had been a flowering crater when he'd escaped from the contained house of horrors where he'd spent the first thirty years of his life. Half-nose had even been his name there. You would never be able to tell now. She remembered how Cicada had idly suggested that Half-nose might be able to apply for a post at the net, even take on the suddenly available flea label. Lo, it had all come to pass. One of the better recruits, too. Jack of all trades, master of a few, and incredibly curious about everything at the net. The best case would be to arrive before them and wait them out. Options? There are routes, Butterfly piped up. He'd kept quiet so far, but that was because they were running. He had already started to sweat. They were none of them getting younger. Roots, he mused between panting breaths. And we run them fast. He did not sound enthusiastic. Flea said, we can use the slide. Moth stopped dead, and Flea nearly collided with her. Butterfly stopped, trying not to appear too grateful. She stared at Flea, stunned. Go on. Flea looked sly. We use Launch Tau, which is just around the corner. I can set it up. We slide right next to Collection's office. It's unorthodox, but there are no technical reasons as to why it shouldn't work. Then we wait. Why did he speak so fast? He never used to when he had no nose. You can set it up, asked Butterfly. I can do a bunch of stuff, said Flea affably. I've been diversifying. You do realize I've put in my transfer, right? Butterfly cocked his head. I thought you were kidding about that. Nope. Dead serious. Paperwork, interviews, tests, forms, signatures, all done. This? His searer swung about in an arc around him. This is all going on one week. One goddamn week. Before I take up my new posting on the psych team. The psych team? Moth's surprise was obvious, and, she realized it too late, a little insulting. Flea looked down at his toes. 
I met someone. You'll push up the IQ in there, that much is clear, said Butterfly. Moth socked him on the shoulder and gave him a warning look. She's a lucky woman, she said to Flea. I hate to lose you. An awkward silence. Then Moth stood up straight, like a spring being released. Right, we take the slide. But first, she turned and stared at Butterfly. This is what I want you to do. Five. Cicada felt a tug on her shorts, somewhere about her left thigh. She wiggled, hoping whatever it was wouldn't break the skin. She grunted as she pushed forward. The fabric inevitably tore. Remarkable how loud it sounded in here. She rolled her eyes. It had seemed like a good idea at the time, but now she was starting to have her doubts. It was tight, and it was dark, and it kind of smelled. Come out to the coast, we'll get together, have a few laughs, she whispered. Six. Sorry about that, said Flea mortified. I could have sworn my settings were correct. Moth was getting her bearings. The smell of sugared almonds was already fading. She swiveled on her heel and pointed down the corridor. We're at most two hundred meters away from Collection's office, Flea. Has this kind of trick ever been tried before? Sliding to the inside of the house? I don't think so. Her eyes were kind. Her nod was resolute. Then I believe you did as good a job as could be expected under the circumstances. Who knows what kind of wacky behavior the slide gets up to when it's being asked to corkscrew on itself like this. If you'd made a real mistake, I suppose we could have popped out in the voids. When we have a minute, we can determine how to compensate for it. If we ever have to do it again anyway. Flea sighed as he thumped the safety off his searer again. Sweet of you to take it like that. I just hope Butterfly didn't end up too far away from where he was supposed to land. There was no real cover to be had in this open hallway, and therefore no real reason to be particularly deliberate about it. They advanced as quickly as they could, eyes open and weapons trained. After twenty meters, Moth suddenly slowed down and put up her hand. No cover meant nowhere to hide either, but discrepancies could conceal themselves behind the very air. Flea sensed it as well. From the other end of the corridor, all the posters and notices tacked to the walls had begun to flutter. It was barely perceptible at first. Do you feel that? Moth asked. Flea licked his lips. Wind. I was hoping we wouldn't have to fight our way through. She swore, using a word she'd never used in the theater before. Flea's eyes widened. It was windy in the corridor, and the wind was picking up. The posters no longer fluttered. They snapped like flags at a fall parade. Some were being ripped off the walls and sent flying toward them like huge flakes of dirty snow. The noise rose and quickly became uncomfortable. 
Look alive, Moth called out. Who knows what kind of discrepancy this wind hides? The wind laughed. It was not hiding any kind of discrepancy. It was the discrepancy. It laughed a high, mocking laugh. And in this laugh, words became recognizable, though elongated and sinister. Moth shivered. She got a mouthful of her own hair and spat it out. We want peace. The wind, the gale now, was somehow becoming visible as it sang this strange song, and it seemed to be growing teeth. They both began shooting at the same time. The words and the laughter changed to banshee-like shrieks of agony. Tatters of gloomy mist appeared in midair, swirling with ragged sparks that spun and fell heavily to the ground where they sputtered as they burned themselves out on the carpet. The next few minutes were a gauntlet of discrepancies of all kinds. A large, lumbering troll made of veined marble. A thin bird with bright plumage, sharp as razor blades. A slithering abomination of bulbous, purulent pustules, which spewed grey-green, foul-smelling ichor when they burst under the serous thin beams. They all chanted, We want peace, as they charged, toothy maws gaping, talons ready to rend and writhe, and they all died, sounding surprised. The corridor became a charnel house, with the remains of seven or eight different discrepancies commingling and fusing, ready to bedevil the cleanup crews if Nethouse still stood at the end of the day. Then, As suddenly as it had started, it was over. Moth and Flea stood in the middle of the battlefield, haggard, sweaty, their eyes wild, their weapons hot. Moth nearly seared Butterfly when he finally found them and greeted them. Oh, so you met a few too, Butterfly said, then added brightly, I got it. So many miracles in a row you wouldn't believe. But I got it, Moth. Here. He thrust the teddy bear at her. I think you should know that Jamie's not happy about this. The last miracle in the chain was me making it here in one piece. (laughs) He laughed as though at a pretty good joke. And then he fainted, because his missing fingers had made him lose an awful lot of blood. 7. The last fifty meters had really been no fun at all. The whole place had seemed to constrict around her. Screwed TV dinners, Cicada thought. This is what an elephant inside a boa feels like. And there had been something alive and skittering around corners. Several somethings, in fact. No discrepancies, the Lord be thanked, but still a little unnerving.
She wiped her brow with the back of her arm and looked through the metal mesh. It was collections office, all right. She recognized the carpet. She was just about to push the cover out of the way when she remembered. Knock according to the code. She whispered the words as she rapped loudly against the sheet metal. Shave and a haircut. Two bits, answered Collection's voice immediately, very close to her. She started so violently that she banged her head against the top of the vent. Her vision exploded into bunting and sparklers. Through the colorful ribbons swathing her skull, she dimly heard Collection's next words. Come in, Cicada. Didn't mean to startle you. She used her seer-holding hand to shove convulsively at the cover, which popped off and tumbled away with a soft clang, and let herself dribble out of the air vent onto the floor. She rolled over and sat up, pressing her left hand to the back of her scalp. That would leave a lump. She grit her teeth in irritation. She was filthy. The pink of her undershirt had been transmuted to a color that could only charitably be called dropped steak. There were smears of soot and dust on her sweaty skin, traces of cobwebs in her disheveled hair, and she was covered in shallow cuts. A bit disheartening, considering that forty minutes ago she was sharing a bath with a hot woman. <clears throat> there was a distinguished cough to her right, and she started again. Collection sat on the floor beside the vent, about a meter away from her. His searer was still trained on her. Wearing an immaculate but baggy suit and tie, he sat motionless, and his breathing was so slow he looked as though he was in fact the handiwork of an excellent taxidermist. As her vision cleared, she stared in impolite fascination at the deep lines on his cheeks and across his brow. Black on dark brown. Canyons, really. His tightly curled, closely shaven hair was of an eye-watering white. God, how old was he? Still, it was good that she'd remembered to knock. I could hear you coming for a while, he said, mercifully not commenting on her choice of mission attire. As was the case with many basi profundi, the slow resonance of his voice contrasted startlingly with the frailty of his frame. Why didn't you take the service corridors? There are service corridors? All over the place. There's one that debouches not twenty meters from my door. She took a long breath. The kind she took before going underwater winced because that hurt, honestly, then gave a sort of stolid shrug. No one tells me anything. Of course, Bertie, he said. He shook his head at the sheer astounded delight in her smile. Yes, Cicada, I've read a book in my time. They sat still and silent for a little while. I think the vaults are out, he went on at length. Why? They're already here. Hear that? They've been trying to force the door. Eight. It had taken a few minutes to sort Butterfly out, and that was why, Moth reckoned, 
She and Flea had made it to Collection's door after Jamie and his little friends, even with a slide-induced head start. Typical day at the net, really. Still, hardly Flea's fault. The idea had been a good one, and it had availed them the teddy bear. The bear was of the essence. Butterfly's injuries were life-altering, poor man, but not life-threatening, and the footloose moth was the best person to let him know. He had not recovered his fingers, and by the time they might be able to find them again, they'd be too far gone even for medical to do anything about them. So she bandaged his mangled hand using the supplies in Flea's emergency pouch. How she had managed to leave her suite without her own pouch she would never know, but perhaps it was only fair that now and then the shambles that was this office was also partly her doing, and they'd made the slight detour needed to leave Butterfly at medical. For a wonder, one of the doctors was still around. She'd refused to leave the ship, the doc said, sitting Butterfly down and getting her syringes in a row. Discrepancy invasion, she was bound to be needed a bit, right? Right. And now, Moth and Flea were hiding behind a gilt pillar and watching the acid discrepancy who looked like Moth try to eat her way through the door to Collection's office as the placid one made of bronze battered the word peace into the wall, and a bearless Jamie looked on. The child was pacing, and he gave the impression that he would start to spew acid himself in about two more breaths. Flea tapped her on the shoulder. My seer, he whispered in an apologetic tone. It's nearly depleted. I guess I panicked a bit as we made our way here. She looked at the charge on her own weapon. There was a good third left. She held out the sewer to him. He dithered. Take it. What about you? He was blushing. I'll be okay. Hold this, she said, giving him the teddy bear. She put a finger to her lips and knelt down. A minute later, she was holding her prosthetic foot and opening the secret compartment. She pulled out another sewer. Now hold this as well. She said to a dumbfounded flea as she put her foot back on, taking particular care with the lacing. How long have you been walking on this? He wondered, his hands full. I've had the thing modified at least ten years ago by my reckoning. Today's the first time I've been able to use it in theater. Cicada said it was silly, but really I only thought of the scheme because of those James Bond movies she made me watch. She stood up and relieved Flea of a seer and of the bear, which she held tight against her. For a mad moment, she fought the urge to add a few kisses to the toy's cheeks. What would Flea have thought of that? What would Cicada, for that matter? Right, let's see if we can't sort this out using our words. We're not going in hot? Chances are it'll end in a fight, but I have a history with one of these discrepancies. She ignored his quizzical expression. Follow my lead. She stepped out into the corridor, seer down, bear cradled in her arm. Jamie, she called out. The discrepancies turned to face her. The two adult-looking creatures seemed unsure of the reaction they were supposed to have. They glanced at the boy, waiting for a cue. 
A rivulet of acid saliva snaked down the woman's chin, going psh. Jamie's hair. It was getting redder all the time. Moth found it touching in spite of herself. His eyes alternated at a mad speed between her face and the teddy bear in her arm. Is he dead? He asked in a voice at least an octave higher than usual, and his voice was not deep to begin with. The bad man who stole it for you? No, thank God, shuddered Mog. Jamie, I only wanted you to listen to me. You can have the bear back after we talk. I wish he were dead, you know. That was a rotten trick. No, you don't. You don't. There was only one question that mattered, and Moth asked it. Why are you here? The boy scoffed and thrust his chin toward his companions. They're here. They're all here, because they want to be able to come out of the in-between places without your people hunting them down. Yes, said the acid woman. We want peace. The bronze man pointed bovinely at the word he'd been bashing into the reinforced wall. Flea barked a sardonic laugh. Moth threw him a pleading glance. What about you, Jamie? What do you want? I want my bear. His hands began dripping water as he raced them toward her. I want my bear. His cheeks were wet but it was impossible to tell if that was because he was crying or because he struggled to remain a boy. I want my mother. I want... He was crying. I want to stay with you. He took a step toward her, his fingers alternating between the small, charming little digits of a five-year-old and keen ice needles. With a crash... The door to Collection's office burst open. Nine. The heavy door collided with the acid woman and the bronze man, sending them sprawling to the floor. The man collapsed like a colossus, and the floating floor under the carpet split. In the entrance, her silhouette backlit and framed to movie poster perfection, stood Cicada. Moth bit down on an oath. What could she say? It was a reasonable decision by an op in theater. Don't shoot at the boy! She screamed at her colleagues as she pointed her own seer down and tried to kill the acid woman quickly. Her admonition was bootless. Jamie seemed to have disappeared. Moth fancied she saw a ripple of liquid along the floor, then flowing up the wall toward the ceiling, but there was no time. Cicada was already halfway back inside Collection's office, taking shelter by the door and shooting, well, in Moth and Flea's direction, really. Flea ran to the right, slightly ahead of the discrepancies as they pushed themselves off the floor, braying in pain and anguish. Moth rolled to the left, taking care not to end up in Flea's cone of shot, and rose up again, ready to see her, the movement remarkably smooth and fluid for a woman her age, though she knew she would feel it in the morning. 
Between the three of them, they had the two remaining discrepancies in a triangular pincer. The problem was the bronze man. He had suddenly, these transformations were always so difficult to pin down, turned to chunks of metal that grounded against one another in a sort of interlaced series of gears of dizzying complexity. Leaving ragged grooves in the floor, the whole structure crashed toward moth and flea like a futuristic tank in a science fiction movie, one of those that don't have to make sense. And like a tank, it seemed to be at least somewhat resistant to weapons. Moth danced sideways as she shot, feeling her gorge rise at the repeated boomvax, and still the whirling behemoth plowed on its drunken way. He was growing battering rams for arms, which he raised and let fall like toppling towers in front of him. She heard Flea squeal in surprised pain, and stealing a glance in his direction she saw that the woman who looked a bit like her was flicking her hands toward him throwing minute drops of acid in a gesture that appeared absurd and petty in the middle of this death struggle. Hissing smoke curled up from the front of Flea's suit as he swore in a low voice, the burst of vulgarity long and sustained. Moth reversed course and circled around the bronze man tank, screaming, The woman! As she expected, two searer beams suddenly converged on the female discrepancy, who lost first an arm, then most of her right hip. Through her qualms and her remorse, Moth felt a glow of pride. What excellent people she worked with. Flea and Cicada's searers sang on, alternately clanging like church bells, and stopping all sound as though someone had yanked on the cord to the headphones of the worlds, and the woman was reduced to an amorphous glob of shrieking ooze. Moth was no longer paying attention. If she did, the unremitting boomvax would eventually make her vomit. She weaved and zigzagged to stand behind the bronze leviathan. She had a vague notion that if she could sear him in the head from above at close range, he might actually go down and let himself be straight-lined. But clambering over a lumbering metal whirligig, it turned out, was easier conceived of than done. Halfway up, fighting to keep her balance, she suddenly found herself dubitative. Was this working? It wasn't. She blinked twice. When her eyes opened for the second time, she was on the carpet, half-blinded from the impact of the back of her skull against the potholed floor. An enormous, pillar-like metal cudgel was rushing down on her like a felled tree. The tenth of a second before she finally hit the end wall suddenly stretched into hours by her reckoning. Well, she wasn't going to retire. She would never forget Cicada. She would never have to forget Cicada. There was that, at least. She thanked God that the last moments they'd had as a couple were unequivocally happy ones. She had held her wife to her and kissed her. 
The last words that Cicada had said to her were, I love you, now she thought about it. That was the mark of a good life on the whole. Her stump hurt like the dickens, but it would never hurt again. And that was a net positive as well, she thought. She'd done well enough without her right foot for 15 years, but it would have been paltering with the truth to claim that she'd enjoyed it. She took the time to recite the Lord's Prayer. Shame about Jamie. Poor child. She wished she could have done things better by him. In another life, he would have been her, her son. Their son. At least he'd get his bear back. Yes, she was still holding the toy in her left hand, wasn't she? She was. She never held on to anything with quite so much resolve in her life. She could feel the love leaking into the bear from her painfully clenched fingers, and knew Jamie would feel it as well, and that helped too, and ah, there it was, the shadow over her eyes, blocking everything. She sensed the rush of air of that mass of living bronze, just before it buried itself into her skull. 10. Only it didn't. She opened her eyes. She'd closed them at the last moment, days ago by her reckoning, not tightly, not in fear. In peace. In a measure of peace. The bronze war machine was no longer looming over her. It, he, lay next to her, a man again. Well, two halves of a man, to be clear. On either side of her, bisected by some fearsome edge. She sprang up with a feral growl, Sira pointing nowhere and everywhere. Don't shoot, said Flea's soft voice, coming from behind her. He sounded like a man who was looking forward to a new position on the psych team. Stand down, Mal. Look. Sorry, Shug. Cicada's voice now, strained. Little buggers fast. Teeth rattling audibly. Cold, too. Moth's red and silver hair flew as she spun round. Her face contorted in rage and confusion. She struggled to grasp what she was looking at. Then she understood. Jamie, she said, her tone so defeated, they all took a reflexive gulp of air. It felt as though all of it had suddenly leaked out of the hall. Her anger was already draining away to be replaced by pleading. Don't hurt her. Jamie stood behind Cicada. He floated behind her, to be precise about it. He was mostly ice now, jagged crystals clinking in a whirl of cascading water that flowed without ever falling all the way down to the floor. His school uniform kept sinking into the unnatural waterfall and floating up to its surface again. His head hovered over Cicada's shoulder at the top of a jet of liquid, the width of a fist. A huge, glittering blade was retracting at a leisurely pace back into his body. Scraps of bronze slid off that noisome appendage and dropped to the ground with a sound of hard rain. A thick collar of ice bound Cicada's neck, even encasing the bottom of the large gold hoops at her ears, and two ice manacles pinioned her. These jives pulsed. They thinned to a translucent sheen, thickened, thinned again. 
Cicada had already stopped struggling. Jamie scowled and kept silent. Fine tendrils of ice suddenly knitted themselves around the fingers of Cicada's sear-holding hand and forced them apart. She squeaked and let the weapon fall. Jamie's foot reformed into a massive crystalline block that rose ponderously, then stamped once onto the sewer and crushed it into a crackling hash of plastic splinters. Moth lifted her own sewer, willing the weapon to stay still and level as she trained it on the boy. Oh, that child. The thorn in her soul for her entire life at Nethouse, by her reckoning. He'd made her a better person. She knew that, but hardly a better op. And what would it avail her if her wife paid the price for it? She clenched her teeth tightly. Cicada looked rough. Her eyes were wide, her features wan, her lips parted, as though she were posing for a pre-Raphaelite portrait. She was covered in grime, in bruises, in bloodied lines all across her arms and legs. Her undershirt was, to put it charitably, no longer pink. Her shorts were slashed to ribbons. She would, Moth's eyes fluttered down and up again, need a pedicure. Are you all right, baby? What happened to you? Cicada tried to shrug. She winced as the ice collar around her neck contracted. I went full McLean's, she croaked lifting her chin to breathe. McLean, said Moth without thinking. A trace of a smile played on Cicada's lips. Moth's sera trembled. Jamie, she murmured, talk to me. I don't want to go back, said the boy, his head swaying on its neck of spouting ice water like a grisly ball in a nightmare circus act. His voice was sad, as always, but there was an undertone of belligerence in it as well now, a hint of a limit reached and crossed. Oh, you're not going back, said Cicada. Her next words became a spasmodic gargle as the ice tightened again. Snot mixed with blood escaped her nostrils. Her eyes were pleading with Moth. Sear him, they said. Sear him now and have done, they begged. Moth's finger loosened against the trigger of her weapon. Remember the sham blow, Cicada's eyes screamed, bloodshot. Remember your promise. But Moth hadn't promised. She knew that intimately. And she dared not shoot. She might hit her wife. That was certainly one of the reasons why she finally let her sewer dip toward the ground. Jamie, let her go. I don't want to go back, Moth, the child repeated. We can talk about it, Moth said, not meeting Cicada's eyes. The boy drew himself up suddenly, dragging Cicada up with him. Her eyes bulged and reddened as she had to stretch and stand on her naked toes to keep breathing. Her cheeks were streaked with tears. Blood beaded on her left earlobe as the earring pulled down and the clasp entered the skin. The ice on her flesh was starting to burn her. It cracked 
then receded a little, and Cicada settled back on her feet with some relief. Enough. Jamie. Enough. Moth tried to sound solicitous, to keep out of her voice the grains of cruelty she could feel trying to push past her teeth. Don't you want peace? Like they do. Jamie scoffed. That's all they talk about, but does it look like they mean it to you? He smiled ruefully, his eyes fixed on the bear with enormous hunger. It's not such a bad idea, though, is it? It's so unfair, Moth. The in-between places. You've never been there, have you? Once. I didn't like it. It's no more fun for us. Everything is so slow there. I know. I'm sorry. But look, Jamie. Look where this has all led. Friends of mine are dead. Friends of yours, too. Friends! He snorted, then shuddered. I don't want to go back, he said for the third time. There was real defiance there now. And I want my bear. Moth glanced at the stuffed animal in her hand, seeing it again for the first time. It was puzzling. Why didn't you take it when I was down, when you killed your friend before he killed me? He wasn't my friend. None of them are. Jamie's voice rose in a strange mix of revolt and sniveling. I can't just take it. Not from you. Don't you see that? I need you to give it to me. Something clicked in Moth's mind. Something decades old. Winnie the Pooh, she said. What? The teddy bear, back in the park. This one is much better, said Jamie with longing. I dare say it is. But the first one, the plinth, you planted it. Jamie smiled coyly. You worked it, she said, so that horrible man would get his hands on it, out of its division. Not so far out, said Jamie. Far enough so we'd see it, she marveled. Their eyes met. He was serious again. I need a mother, or a father, who could travel. That didn't work out too well, she whispered. Jamie said nothing. If I give it to you, will you leave? There. Moth loathed herself for it. Flea and Cicada weren't thrilled about it either, but she had said it one more time. It always came back to this, didn't it? What makes you think that... Flea began, but Jamie spoke over him. No, he said. His body shrunk a little, forcing Cicada to bend her knees. Please, I want to stay with you. I'll be good. Jamie. I've always tried to be good. I know, Moth said, her voice starting to waver. Even there, even in the in-between places. I know. He was not lying. Not strictly. Please let me stay. Give me my bear. I want my bear. I want my mother. 
I'm not your mother. She gestured towards Cicada, not quite knowing why. She could have been. Her wife gaped, her nutmeg eyes confused and fearful. Every protective instinct in Moth was alive now. She has what it takes. I don't. She had no idea where these words had come from, but now that they were loosed, she saw the truth of them. Let her go, Jamie. I'll give you the bear, and you can leave. He jerked back, mutinous, and it was suddenly obvious that Cicada was about to pass out. Moth put the muzzle of her searer against the head of the teddy bear. Jamie let out a yelp of terror. Flea's finger slipped under the trigger guard of his seer. He took one long breath and didn't let it out. Moth, whispered Jamie, one icy tear glistening at the corner of his eye. Don't send me back. Moth shook her head. She was trembling from head to foot. Her stump was hurting. Jamie's eyes blazed. The tear shattered in a myriad of minuscule fragments of light. He roared in desperate, reckless fury, and a hundred blades of ice swung out of him, forming a jangling net around Cicada's head. A millisecond of hesitation. Interminable. Would he have struck? Moth would wonder to the end of all things. Still, it was time. She threw the bear in Jamie's direction, a little to the side. Now! She screamed at Flea. There was a searer shot. And one of the bear's paws disappeared. Jamie shrieked. Eleven. Cicada was down on her hands and knees, her head low, her curls dull with sweat and dust, brushing the torn carpeting. She retched and spat, and Moth crouched over her, holding her, keeping her hair out of her eyes, babbling incoherently, covering her in kisses, making a fool out of herself, as she would later remember it. Flea, who could see that Cicada was taking none of it very well, looked away, embarrassed. He floated nearby, eventually electing to keep watch on the deserted far side of the corridor. One couldn't be too careful. Jamie and the bear were gone. A wet trail winded itself some way towards Cicada and Moth, then stopped and dried off a few meters from both women. A note from collection suddenly dropped, housewide. Report. Report. Flea turned in surprise toward collection's office. The old man stood just inside the door. Let's take Let's the, take risk, the risk, shall we? Shall we? Noted collection shrugging his frail, angular shoulders. Discrepancy straight, straight line, noted Honeybee. We're in the lab. Some, Some of us didn't make it. Make it. Discrepancy, Discrepancy straight line in the medical, medical amphitheater, amphitheater, noted Mosquito. Discrepancy, Discrepancy straight, straight line in the archives, archives. noted Ladybug. We took, we losses, took losses, too. too. Nearly done Nearly in done the French in the garden, garden, noted Mantis. The linden has burned down. How old was that tree? We want peace, 
Sure you do, noted Mantis. Give us a minute, guys. Discrepancies straight line by collections office. That note was not from Moth. It had come from Cicada, who still refused to meet her wife's eye. One has fled back to the interstices. Collection was taking notes, physical ones, using a pencil and a pad. He pursed his lips in a ruminative sort of way, staring straight at an oblivious moth. She was not in charge now. He wrote something down. Clean up crews to converge on the straight-line discrepancies, he then noted to everyone. There are no cleaners on site, said Flea, trying not to look too pointedly at collection. They've been evacuated. The old man's features sagged. You're quite right he said. He sounded exhausted and just a little out of his depth. They are being recalled now. Clean up crews to converge on the straight-line discrepancies as soon as possible, he noted. The remains need to be put in the vials and analyzed swiftly. I want them all catalogued by Monday. Also, let's start a tally of the physical damages to NetHouse. His pad snapped shut. With a grunt, Cicada let herself fall to a sitting position. Her hand slammed the ravaged floor and immediately jerked up again as she swore. She tugged a small bronze shaving out of her palm and threw it moodily toward the far wall, where the word peace towered over them, smashed across the portraits of the ops who'd hit the end wall on a job. Moth went in for a hug. Cicada recoiled. She didn't try to be gentle about it. Not now, Cicada snarled from behind clenched teeth. Not now, baby. We are not doing this. Under the blood, the sweat, the tears and the snot, her face, normally fawn-colored, was now almost as pale as Moth's own fresh brie complexion. Moth couldn't recall the last time she'd seen her wife so angry. The younger woman's eyes flamed a deep amber, their disdainful glare hitting Moth like a slap, one of those earnest ones with lots of follow-through. Moth took an involuntary step back and flinched as her stump protested. Cicada got up unsteadily, ignoring her wife's proffered hand. She tugged at her soiled undershirt to straighten it. She wiped at her mouth with the back of her wrist. For a second, Moth thought she was about to scream at her, but when Cicada finally spoke, her voice was only weary. You let him go, Moth. You let him go. Again. Raising her voice just a little, she went on, addressing collection but keeping her burning eyes on her wife. I'm out. You start the paperwork today. You finish it today. I mean it. I'm retired, as of this minute. Without waiting for an answer, or even an acknowledgement, without giving Moth a chance to speak, Cicada whirled on her bare heels, droplets of everything flying off her skin, and walked away. Don't forget to pick up Dragonfly, she noted without looking back. Suite 207, West Tower. He's hurt. Absurdly terrified that she was never going to see her wife again, Moth started after her, like an automaton, 
but Flea's hand shot out and gripped the redhead's arm. He hadn't meant to. It just happened. She was important to him. She nearly punched his new nose in. He stared at her, levelly, with a helpless sort of imploring expression on his face. Discrepancy Discrepancy straight-lined in the French French garden, garden, noted Mantis. That'll be the last one, Collection said aloud. Nethouse is safe, if anyone's interested. Moth's eyes cleared, and she seemed to take in the state of the place for the first time. The corridor was in ruins. The walls and the floor looked like they'd been raked by a combine harvester. There was an acrid smell over everything. She registered the word peace again, desecrating the memorials to fallen ops. Cricket would join them when the place was rebuilt. Cricket and others. How many of them hadn't made it through? And she'd let the child go. They'll have to shift the house to another displacement, of course. Collection continued. And we'll need to draw up some sort of protocol in the event of something like this happening again. Moth frowned at him. She couldn't help herself. It was all she could do to keep her wailing bottled in. Her stomach heaved. Her stump was hurling abuse at her. Her head thrummed. But the op part of her... Well, that accursed part was waking up again. Was this really the first time? She asked. Collection shot her a startled look, swiftly replaced by a little pinched smile that seemed to revel in her perceptiveness. Twelve. Moth limped into the chapel, crossed herself, and sat down in their usual pew. Cicada had worshipped here with her not a week ago. Cicada, in her Sunday best, was a heart-stopping and a heart-pumping sight. She loved church, even of this desiccated Anglican variety, and that meant color and joy of it. A dress and a smile that made her into a sun, and moth grateful to bathe in its light. They had sung together. Cicada had such a good voice. Now moth was alone in the dim, cool air of the church. Reverend José did not live at Ned House, and she only came in on Sundays, for special occasions, and by appointment. The discrepancies had not entered this space. In the eerie peace of this sanctuary, under the red and blue shimmer of the glass windows, it was almost possible to forget that much of the house was devastated, that there was rubble on the floors and blood on the walls, that six ops had hit the end wall that thirteen discrepancies had been seared or garroted, most of them nattering on about how they wanted peace. That butterfly was missing three fingers on his right hand. That her marriage was over. She whimpered. She was being dramatic. Cicada had never been afraid for her own life. Jamie had not really been in the position of strength he had thought he was. Cicada wasn't angry because she thought Moth had put her in danger. She was angry because she believed Jamie had bewitched her earnest, prosaic wife. 
Well, hadn't he? Moth's lips shook. Everything hurt. She could feel her pulse at her temple, in the pit of her stomach, at the end of her missing foot. Cicada was furious with her, and that made her feel anything but prosaic. She lowered her head to pray in silence. She prayed for love, forbearance, forgiveness. She prayed for a miracle. Sometime later, she cried, but not very much. This is Vincent Lauzon. I hope you enjoyed this 11th episode of The Moth Collection. If you did, tell people about it. You can make new friends that way. And come visit the website, which has a bunch of fun things and extras. The address is in the show notes. It's all starting to spiral around toward a sort of ending, isn't it? This one was a bit of a nightmare to write, but the silly die-hard jokes helped me push through. The Moth Collection is written and read by Vincent Lauzon. Production by Transuranic. I hope you'll be back in two weeks for another episode of The Moth Collection. love YA Lit? Looking for a community of readers who love it as much as you do? Want to find more rad, diverse books? Check out Yeah! Podcast, a show about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. Every episode, we discover new books, revisit old classics, hold exclusive interviews with amazing authors, and talk a lot, a lot, about Twilight. This is our book club, and you're invited. Find us, and many other shows, in the pod cavern.